You're listening to the Sermon Podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Good morning, Real Life family, and to our online family. I don't know how you transition from that video to now our lesson, but here we go. My name is Emmy Salisbury. I am the youth pastor here. It is an honor to be with you guys this morning. I am joined with the one and only Darby Anderson, our home group's pastor. Hi. Hello. We are going to kick off our Resurrection Sunday series. What was he thinking? As a team, we got together and we started just asking questions and thinking about like, okay, well, what, when Jesus was at the last dinner and with his disciples, was he like, okay, we're, I think they got it. I think we're good. Did he know that everything that he set out to do, that he, it was good? He was ready. Did the disciples think that? What were the disciples thinking? What was Jesus thinking when he knew he was going to go to the cross? What did the disciples think after the cross? What does that mean for us today? What was he thinking? So we are super excited that we get to kick this off. Uh, Darby, and I, we're troublemakers together, so just, we'll frame that for today. Um, today, bring some levity. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to do things a little different than normal. We're going to start at the end. We wanted to give you guys the questions. Every week, we give you guys questions for your home group, for your personal time, for around the dinner table. These are questions that we want you to wrestle with and to just try to take this lesson and pick apart So we're going to give them to you early because we want this to kind of frame the conversation that we're going to have today. So Darby, what is question number one? Well, we encourage you to wrestle with a question. They're in your notes. Uh, You can see them on the screen. How have you, there's a whole lot of wrestling going on. Yes. How have you wrestled with the tensions of unrestored relationships? Mm. The second question, what stirs within you knowing that Jesus has done all of the groundwork to restore relationship with God. Next says, where does grace show up in this story? This story being the story we're about to tell. Mm -hmm. And where has it shown up in your story? Next question, what are your next steps of faith in light of God's amazing grace? And finally, what intentional rhythms do you have in place to remind you of your need of sacrifice? Mm, Good one. So as I was just prepping for this lesson and studying and trying to let it sift me, I was brought to the attention that I don't do grace well. I don't understand it. This is such a difficult concept for me to try to understand. Grace, the unmerited favor of God. I'm a doer. Give me a job to do with very clear expectations and guidelines. I will get it done. If I don't and I fail, that's fine. At least I know the consequences and I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with knowing it, it was on me that I didn't do this well. But where does grace come into this story that, that I just have to sit and know that there is nothing I can do and there's nothing I can't do to not get God's grace? And this has just completely wrecked me this week. Um, so it's been really fun to be able to just let this um, sift me and to find out who I am and find out who God is um, in this story today. And, and so we're going to be tackling um, what was he thinking when he 
became the ultimate sacrifice. Now, just a couple of things. I want you guys to put on a different set of lenses. Let's look at these stories with curiosity because we need to go back to a real time, a real place, real people, and reframe the conversation that we're gonna have today. Um, So Darby, what was he thinking? Well, I'm thinking that um, as I was pondering grace, as I was pondering sacrifice, I, I was brought back to a time in my life when I was in college. And when I was in college, there were these people there they were pretty uh, important people. They're called professors. They have like a bunch of letters in front or behind their name. And I'm, I'm entering this room going, oh, I feel so distant from these people. These people are so smart and I'm so not. Mm-hmm. And um, it kind of is similar to the way I felt with the Lord, but multiply that with the Lord like by five times because it was during the beginning of my sophomore year that I realized that God is God and yet there was about a three to four month uh, tension of what in the world would God want with me because I knew me and God knew me and I didn't think that we could mix because of sin, because of those tensions, because of, of all those things. And because you and I are weird and we like to think outside the box, again, we're going to start at the end because that's fun to do it that way. Let's do it. So what we're going to do is you imagine those movies, you've seen those movies where it pans in and the first scene is just this huge action action scene where we're going to pick it up at the cross. So at the cross is where we're going to pick up this story and then you're going to give the backstory. Yep. Okay. So one of the things um, that we're going to look at is in Mark, it says dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. And you're like, oh, clothes, I like clothes. But let's focus on the nine. At nine in the morning, there would be a shofar. A shofar is like a horn, and it would blow. That's the way it blows in my mind. So it goes, and right at nine, something kind of gory and gruesome happens. They slaughter an animal for a sin offering. So it's a, it's a rhythmic thing, and this thing happens every single day. And it's not by coincidence that Jesus was crucified at that time. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We were singing that. This is part of these people's normal rhythms. Mm-hmm. And then again, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So there was a morning sacrifice when the shofar would blow. And then right at that time, no matter if you were in Jerusalem or wherever you were, if you were a believer, you paused and were reminded of your need of sacrifice. And then later, there was an evening sacrifice. Anyone want to guess what time that evening sacrifice would happen when the shofar would go? Three. You guys are great. I knew they'd get it. So, so at three o'clock, there's this rhythm every single time. And so for me, 
Um, I imagine like Vikings games when they like blow that big horn. Um, that's not what a shofar looks like, but, but that doesn't really resonate with my everyday life. But my friend is an amazing trumpet player. And he has had the honor and yet, you know, it's, it's a difficult scenario, but he's had the privilege of playing taps at some memorial services, at um, some, some life celebrations. And taps is that song you hear um, that they play trumpet at a memorial or a funeral of someone who's been in the military. And it's powerful. Like it makes me tear up every time I hear that song because even though they may not have given their lives directly in that moment, they did sacrifice something. They sacrificed for us. They sacrificed their time. They sacrificed some years. They gave up something. And so for me, when I think of the shofar, I think of that Taps song where I'm reminded of sacrifice. And for us, we're like, oh, you know, what's sacrifice? Sacrifice is like training for a dodgeball game. Like, yes. like we saw there. Um, but, but yeah, but, but there's more than that. Mm-hmm. There's a sacrifice that... That, that God had in mind that restores relationships. So what was he thinking? He was thinking sacrifice to restore relationship. And this story goes way, way back. And, and so like you've seen those movies and we're here at the cross and we move from the cross and a lot of those movies go in earlier that same day. No, that's not far enough. <laughs> a week before, no. A year before? No, we're going like thousands Mm -hmm. of years back to a dude named Abram. Mm -hmm. And Abram lived in a culture, and that culture, sacrifice, was a major part of that culture. And Abram's got this backstory, which we're going to get to and then lead back up to the cross again. Yes. So sacrifice in Abram's culture, remember, real time, real place, real people. God is going to show up to these people and show them who he is. So here we have Abram. He is in this culture where there are multiple gods. And this new God comes on scene and says, Abram, there's a different story I want to use you to tell to the rest of the world. And Abram says, all right, I'm in. So sacrifice in Abram's culture is every day. This is just what happens. They would prepare, like Darby said, nine and three o'clock. They would be thinking, okay, what, what am I trying to atone my sin for? What am I trying to do to make the gods happy? So you could offer little sacrifices like spices and grain or birds, or it could be as big as your cattle or your child. Because in this culture, the gods are angry when are we going to know that enough is enough? These people didn't. They just had to do what was next so that God wouldn't require more from them. So here we are setting the stage for God to show up to a man named Abram and tell a completely different story. So we're going to pick up the story in Genesis. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. 
Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, know for certain that for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation of your descendants, will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, to your descendants, I give this land. So let's unpack what has just happened. This new God has shown up on scene and said, Abram, you're the type of guy I wanna tell a different story through. And he makes him a promise, makes him three. First one is that Abram will have land. Well, why is this important? Abram has just left his father's estate and traveled down into a different country. In this culture, you don't do that. You don't leave your father's estate. You stay where there is wealth, protection. You stay where the father, he, he uh, tells everybody what gods they're gonna serve. You're protected in your father's house. Well, God told Abram to leave that house and he was gonna make him a new land. God was gonna give him a place to belong. The second promise God gave Abram was that he was gonna have descendants. Why is this important? Abram chose to marry a barren woman. Barrenness in this culture is very shameful. The gods are angry at you if you cannot produce a child. You don't have a legacy, you don't have a future. But Abram had the choice between two women and he chose the one that was full of shame and said, I will, I will partner with you in this shamefulness. That's the type of God that we serve. That's the type of person God can use, who's willing to partner with people in their shame. The third promise that God gave Abram was that he was going to be a blessing to many nations. He wasn't gonna be a blessing to be blessed, that through Abram's faithfulness, that Abram was gonna bring blessing to those he came in, in contact with. So much so that Abram is in the lineage of Messiah. Abram was all in. He believed God. He said, all right, I'm in God, whatever this looks like. And he said, how? How will I know this? 
God said, Abram, I'm gonna make you a deal. So when we talk about God showing up to Abram in his culture, he does just this. This type of covenant is called a blood path, a, a covenant, a cutting covenant. This was very widely used amongst kings when they would make treaties with other countries. This was used between fathers when they're negotiating their children in marriage. Abram knew exactly what God was asking of him when he said to go get these specific animals. When people would make this type of covenant, the first person would usually walk the path first, the person that brings less to the table, who is in a a lesser position. They also would say, through the blood of this covenant, we are sealed. Then the second person would say, I will lay down my life if these promises are broken. So I have a picture of what this covenant would look like. This is how it would look. You would arrange the animals in such a way that when the blood drained, you would have kind of this trench. So the first person would walk through this bloody path. They would wear white white robes, and when they walked, the blood would splash upon the hem. Thinking two things by the hem of his garment and the hem where the blood is is sealed, the blood of the covenant. This would be a very fitting thing in this type of covenant. So what do we find Abram doing? He's, He's believing God, he's obeying, but he's not walking. He's the one that brings lust to the table. He should be walking first. How do we know he's not? Because the birds of the prey are coming. They're feasting on these animals. Abram's like, I know what this requires. I'm, I, I can't do this. I know that in this covenant that I'm required to die if I break promises. I can't do this, God. So he sits there and he shoos the birds away. This moment of grace where God shows up he puts Abram in a deep sleep. The word there is the same word that God used uh, to put Adam in a deep sleep when he created Eve. God is gonna make something very beautiful in this moment. Abram falls asleep and he sees a fire pot and a torch show up. Again, real places, real time, real people, these two things, these two items in Abram's culture always represent deity. And we see through the scriptures, they always represent God. God is showing up to Abram in his culture, showing him the things of his culture to tell him something different. This is a different God on scene. This is the God who won the first torch passed, it walked first. And then the fire pot walked. This is the type of God we serve. This is the type of God who's willing to walk twice. He's saying, Abram, I know that you can't hold up your end of the deal. He knows that and he's not mad. 
This God's not angry. He's saying, I'm willing to walk twice. And if this promise is broken, I'm willing to lay down my life. This is grace. Grace has shown up from the very beginning and it's gonna continue to go on and on and on. This is the type of God we serve. Because he knows you and I, we can't hold up our end of the deal either. And the promises that he gave Abram to have a place to belong and a future and a legacy, there are promises too. And he's like, guys, I know you can't do it. That's why I'm gonna send Jesus. And his promises of of everything that he's promised us, it's not on our faithfulness to the covenant. It's on his goodness and his faithfulness. This is grace. And this grace that he is showing through Abram is to bring us back into a place of the garden where we walked and talked with no shame with God. So we're gonna see that Jesus is gonna keep telling this same story and he's gonna bring us, he wants to bring us so badly into a relationship back with him again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it reminds me again of um, the professors I had. I took some classes and actually didn't take them. I was smart enough not to take these classes. There were professors that would come into a room with hundreds of people and say, with all their loftiness, with all their grandeur, and say, half of you are going to fail. And they were like proud of that. And later, well, right after I went to the ad drop line and dropped that class, And then later when I actually graduated with honors because I never took that class. Anyway, but later, later when I was a teacher, I would wrestle with this idea of like, how do I reach these students where they're at? How do I connect with them? And then I start to think about those professors that were like, I'm such a great teacher. Half of you will fail. And I'm like, if you get 50%, do you fail? Like that didn't make sense to me. Anyway, I, I was struggling with this idea of how do I reach my students. I, was, I had the privilege of being a teacher, and I'd, I'd, I'd connect with them. I'd try to speak their language. I'd try to understand what language they were speaking. Sometimes I'd even like go, and I'd sit in the desk next to them to get eye to eye. You ever do that? You know, like, hey, what's going on today? No, really, what's, what's happening? We, we got this. And then other times I'd go up and even like humble myself even more, and I'd be like, underneath there and I'd get like lower than them and I'd be like hey you got this seriously we can do this and I'd, I'd, I'd be there with them like how are we going to arrive how are you going to make this I want to meet you where they're at so much though this wasn't much of a sacrifice that I would watch movies that were popular because I'm a movie watcher and some of those movies that were popular at the time were Matrix how hard is it to relate Matrix to the Bible? Not very hard on a lot of levels. And then other ones were like uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, like super easy. Hey, you could do this. You're like Frodo, you know, get rid of that evil thing. You know, not hard at all. And then there are these other kids on my soccer team. They were edgy dudes and they weren't really buying into this Jesus thing. And they kept on talking about this movie that seemed like the dumbest movie ever. Like just by hearing them talk about it, they're like, yeah, it's about this guy who's in high school in Idaho in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, 
uh, no thank you. That's like super lame. And then I actually watched it and I'm like, yes, I love this. And so for the next three years, I taught high school Bible with Uncle Rico's voice, with um, Kip's voice, with Napoleon's voice. Mr. Anderson, what are you going to teach us? Whatever I feel like. God. Jeez, guys, calm down. Calm down. Bet you I could throw this Bible over the mountains over there. I bet you I could do that. Tell you what. If you've never seen Napoleon Dynamite, I apologize. You should watch it, and it'll change your life in a wonderful, positive way. But I was able to reach my students, and I was willing to make a fool out of myself. Thank you for laughing at me. Um, I was willing to do that, to meet them where they were at. And we have a God that does that. Mm-hmm. That, that we have a God that, that when we look at the sacrifice, when we think of him at the cross, they're like, okay, we're used to this sacrificial system. You know, we, we know what Abram went, went through. We, we know this nine o'clock shofar blows, you know, taps, whatever. And then again at three, because we need a sacrifice because of our sin, because because of that distance that our sin creates. And he's like, no, I will be your God and you will be my people. I want to restore this relationship. And that's what we believe Jesus was doing, that he was restoring that relationship with us. And so so we 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 come back to come back to the present day action scene of Jesus on the cross and then again at 9 and then at 3 and at 3 he says it is finished. What was finished? This everyday guilt thing of oh, sacrifice sin blood gross. And then again at 3 sacrifice blood sin gross in this constant I'm no good. And I, there's no way I'm going to get there. And I'm no good, and there's no way that I'm going to get there. Unfortunately, some people still live like that, even though they know Jesus. Like, oh, just horrible, and then whatever. But it is finished. Is This doesn't need to continue. That justice was fulfilled, and we get to taste the fruits of God's unmerited, amazing grace. And he meets us right where, where, where we're at. He met the culture right where they're at. And he's like, yeah, it's done. It doesn't need to continue anymore. So that being said, I wanted to look at God's heart that I believe that you go Older Testament, it's there. Newer Testament, it's there. That I will be their God, that they will be my people. Let's read in Revelation what it says. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. So pause right there. Like in their mind is like, no, God's like beyond a professor. Like he like created everything and he's amazing and whatever. And he's distant and aloof. No, he's right here sitting in the desk next to you going, yeah, we're going to get this. We're going to get through this. He, he lowers himself. He becomes like one of us so that we can be with him. Blows my mind that he wants to be with us. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. It's like this symbiotic, beautiful 
restoration of relationship. And so when Jesus was, was, was looking at the end of his earthly you know, ministry there before giving up his life, what is he thinking? He's thinking this, like I can restore this relationship where I can be their God, that they will be my people. This part I'm really looking forward to. Wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's an important thing to sit there, I think, today. That, that he is in process of making everything new. Everything is in process of being made new. Then he said, write this down. These words are trustworthy and true. And so we see that, that, that justice fulfilled, that, that God wants to be with us. That, that he meets us where they're at, and he's like, hey, I know you, don't, you can't do this, so I'm going to go both sides of this. I'm going I'm to obliterate this system of things by coming here so that I can be with you. And, but he encourages us to be reminded mm-hmm. of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Encourages us to remind us of our need of a savior. And so I think it makes sense that we move towards communion. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's remember the sacrifice in which Jesus died for us. So if you're serving communion, go ahead and go on back and we will get the elements passed out. If you are new with us, please feel free uh, to join us at the table. Uh, we just ask that you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your, of your heart. Um, we've done communion a little bit differently this week. You will find that the cups have been double stacked. Um, underneath your juice cup is the bread, so go ahead and just grab one set of the double cups. If you don't want to touch the tray, go ahead and just flag your uh, aisle buddy or the usher um, that's passing the tray, and we will get the tray passed for you. So, yeah. We're going to go into our questions again. Let's revisit um, where we've kind of been and, and what we want your home groups to, to talk about this week around your dinner table or even just in your quiet time uh, personally. Yep. So the first question again is, how have you wrestled with the tensions of unrestored relationships? For me personally, I wrestle a ton with this. Unrestored relationships made my family be a broken family. That, that when it came to, hey, are we going to get through this? Are we going to do the hard work? The hard work was not done. And so for me, when relationships are unrestored, so, you know, I do a lot of mean things sometimes and whatever, I'm not a, you know, whatever, I'm human. So we will have this moment but I always try to restore it. I always try to put a bow on the end of it where like, are we good? Are we good? Because there's a lot of tension for me when I feel like we're not good and we haven't restored relationship. Yeah, that's a tough place. Uh, second question, what stirs within you knowing that Jesus has done all of the groundwork to restore your relationship with God? Again, I go back to that tension. I can't earn it. I can't do anything. That stirring within me is unresolved, like just... I. I need to just sit there and accept it. I'm not good at accepting compliments or gifts. My weird gets my face gets weird and I don't know what to do with my hands and then I say weird things and I just have to learn to just sit and go, okay, Ed, 
There's nothing I can do or can't do that your grace isn't gonna cover. So what's going on inside you when it comes to grace? Pay attention to that. Yep, I totally resonate with that. Where does grace show up in this story? So the story we just covered, where did it show up? And I was a high school Bible teacher, so the answer is, I believe you'll figure it out. Um, I believe in you, and I believe that when you read the text, you'll be able to figure it out. I'll, I'll even sit in the desk next to you and say, I believe you got this, all right? But where uh, has it shown up in, in my story? Grace shows up all the time in my story because I make mistakes like all the time. <laughs> And therefore, it's super cool that every breath I get is a second chance. Mm-hmm. Yep, amen. Uh, next question. What are your next steps of faith in light of God's amazing grace? I go back to those promises that God made to Abram. Like I said, there are promises too. That God wants to give us a place to belong. He wants to give us a legacy and he wants to give us a purpose Where are those things that are just lighting up inside of you that when God says go, you can't wait to go? Because maybe that's where God wants to partner with you to show people grace or to give you grace. Where are those places that God is just saying, hey, go, go. And then finally with the questions, it says, what intentional rhythms do you have in place to remind you of your need of sacrifice? And I think communion Mm -hmm. is a great thing. Um, I've started a thing where I programmed my phone to go off at nine and three because when I was wrestling with those deep tensions of whatever, like that's like 29 years ago. And so I want to be mindful of the sacrifice that I still need all the time um, at nine in the morning. My little phone goes, ding. And then at three, ding. It's not quite a shofar. Maybe there's an app for that. I don't know. But there's other ways to remember. Yep. And one of those great ways is communion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is an amazing way to remember our need of a sacrifice. But the fact that it's covered, it's finished. So on that night, when Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread He'd given thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Let's do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember. And in the same way, he took the cup saying, this is the cup of the new covenant. The old covenant is finished. Whenever you drink, do it in remembrance of me. Let's remember. Lord, we give you thanks that you are a God who is not distant. Mm -hmm. You are not aloof. You, You are above us. But you want to bring your kingdom down. That you want your kingdom to come. You want your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So, So you meet us in the midst of our mess. You meet us right where we're at, and you cover that relationship. You restore relationship. You 
walk both ways Mm -hmm. because you know us and you love us and you sacrificed your very self to restore a relationship with us. And for that, we give you praise. We give you thanks. Lord, may your kingdom come in our lives, in our families, in our community. May your will be done. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.